With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Post. Do everything you can for him, I wrote. And as I doubt if he has five dollars to his name, hold me responsible. This I gave McDonough without telling him its contents. Off they drove him in the cold, mute night. I could hear the heavy jolts of the wagon a long way. Six rocky fords lay between here and Washakie, and Scipio thus summed up the seventy-five miles the patient had before him. I don't expect he'll improve any on the road. In new camps among other mountains, I now tried my luck through deeper snow, thicker ice, and colder days, coming out at length lean and limber and ravenous for every good that flesh is heir to, yet reluctant to turn eastward to that city life which would unfailingly tarnish the bright hard steel of health. Of Still Hunt Spring I spoke no more, but thought often, and with undiscouraged plans to visit it. I mentioned it but once again. Old Washaki, chief of the Shoshone tribe, did me the honor to dine with me at the military post which bore his name. Words cannot describe the face and the presence of that old man. Ragged clothes abated nothing of his dignity. A past like the world's beginning looked from his eyes. His jaw and long white hair made you silent as tall mountains make you silent. After we had dined, and I had made him presents, he drew pictures in the sand for me with his finger. Not as I expected, almost to my disappointment, this Indian betrayed no mystery concerning the object of my quest. Eh, he said. It was like a shrug. No hard find. You want see him? Water pretty good, yes. Trees heap big. You make ranch, maybe. When he heard my desire was merely to see Still Hunt Spring, I am not certain he understood me, or, if so, believed me. Eh! he exclaimed again, and laughed, because I laughed. You go this way, he said, beginning to trace a groove in the sand. So. He laid a match here and there, and pinched up little hillocks, and presently he had it all set forth. I tore off a piece of wrapping paper from the stove, and copied the map carefully with his comments. The place was less distant than I had thought. I thanked him, spoke of returning after one snow to see him, and still hunt spring. Eh, he shrugged. Then he mounted his pony and rode off without any good-bye, Indian fashion.
I counted it a treasure I had got from him. McDonough's leg had knit well, and I met him on crutches crossing the parade ground. He was discharged from hospital, and, I will not deny it, his mere nod of greeting seemed somewhat too scant acknowledgment of the good will I had certainly tried to show him. Yet his smile was very pleasant, and while I noted his face, no longer embrowned with sun and riding, but pale from confinement, I noted also the unsubdued twinkle in his perplexed eyes. After all, why should I need thanks? As he hobbled away with his yellow hair sticking out in a cowlick under his hat behind, I smiled at my own smallness and wished him good luck heartily. The doctor, whose hospitable acquaintance I had made on first coming through the post this year, would not listen to my paying him anything for his services to McDonough. Army surgeons were expected, he said, to render what aid they could to civilians, as well as to soldiers, in the hospital. He good-humouredly forbade all the remonstrance I attempted. When civilians could pay him themselves, he let them do so according to their means. It was just as well that the surrounding country should not grow accustomed to treating Uncle Sam as a purely charitable institution. McDonough had offered to pay, when he could, what he could afford. The doctor had thought it due to me to let him know the contents of my note, and that no such arrangement could be allowed. And what said he to that, I asked? Nothing, as usual. Disgusted, perhaps? Not in the least. His myopic eyes were just as cheerful then as they were the second before he fainted away under my surgical attentions. He scorned ether. Poor fellow! He's a good fellow, I exclaimed. Hm, went the doctor doubtfully. Know anything against him? I asked. Know his kind, all the way from Assiniboine to Lowell Barracks. It has made you hard to please, I declared. Hmm, went the doctor again. Think he'll not pay you? May, may not. Well, good-bye, Cynic. Good-bye, Tenderfoot. The next morning, had there been time to catch the doctor, I could have proved to him that he was hard to please. At the moment of my stepping into the early stage, I had a surprise. McDonough had been at breakfast at the hotel, and had said nothing to me. A nod sufficed him, as usual. It was as much social intercourse as was customary at breakfast, or indeed at any of the meals. The stage rattled up as I sat, and I, its only passenger, rose and spoke a farewell syllable to McDonough, who repeated his curt nod. My next few minutes were spent in paying the bill, seeing my baggage roped on behind the stage, and in bidding Scipio good-bye. One foot was up to get into the vehicle, when a voice behind said, "'So you're going?' There was McDonough, hobbled out after me to the fence. He stood awkwardly at the open gate, smiling his pleasant smile. I replied yes, and still he stood. "'Coming next year?' Again I said yes, and again he stood silent. 
smiling and awkward. Then it was uttered, the difficult word which shyness had choked. If you come, you shall have the best horse on the river. Before I could answer, he was hobbling back to the hotel. Thus from his heart his untrained lips at last had spoken. I drove away, triumphing over the doctor, and in my thoughts my holiday passed in review, my camps and Scipio and Still Hunt Spring, and most of all this fellow with his broken leg and perplexed eyes. At Lander, they said, had I come two days earlier, I should have had the company of Lem Speed. So he and his maroon straw hat came into my thoughts, too. He had started for California, I heard from the driver, whose society I sought on the box. He assured me that Lem Speed was rich, but that I carried better whiskey. Trouble was due in this country, he said, after more of my whiskey, pretty near the sort of trouble they were having on Powder River. For his part, he did not wonder that poor men got tired of rich men, not that he objected to riches, but only to hogs. He had nothing against Lim Speed. Temptation to steal stock had never come his way, but he could understand how poor men might get tired of the big cattlemen. Some poor men, anyhow. Yes, trouble was sure due, what brought Lim Speed up here so long after the beef roundup. Still, he guessed he hadn't told Lim Speed anything that would hurt a poor fellow. Lim Speed had claimed he was up here about his bank. If so, why had he gone up Wind River and all around Big Muddy and over to the M-Bar? The bank was not there. No, sir. The big cattleman was going to demonstrate over here as they had on the Dry Cheyenne and Box Elder. I perceived demonstration to be the driver's word for the sudden hanging of somebody without due process of law, and I expressed a doubt as to its being needed here. I had heard nothing of cattle or horses being stolen. This he received in silence, presently repeating that Lem Speed hadn't got anything from him. He broke off this subject for mines, and after mines we touched on topic after topic, until I confided to him the story of McDonough. Of course, I would never accept the horse I finished. Why not? Well, well, it would hardly be suitable. Please yourself, said the driver curtly, and looking away, such treatment would not please me. You mean, never look a gift horse in the mouth, as we say? I don't know as I ever said that. A steep gully in the road obliged him to put on the brake and release it before he continued. I'd not consider I had the right to do a man a good turn if I wasn't willing for him to do me one. But I really did nothing for him. Please yourself. Maybe folks are different east. Well... I ended laughing. I understand you, and I am not the hopeless snob I sound like, and I'll take his horse next summer, if you will take a drink now. We finished our journey in amity. The intervening months, whatever drafts they made upon my Rocky Mountain health, weakened my designs not a whit. Late June found me again in the stagecoach, 
taking with eagerness that drive of thirty-two jolting hours. Roped behind were my camp belongings, and treasured in my pocket was Chief Washakie's trail to Still Hunt Spring. My friend, the driver, was on the downstage, and so, to my regret, we could not resume our talk where we had left it. But I again encountered at once that atmosphere of hinted doings and misdoings which had encompassed me as I went out of the country. At the station called 